If you have a Bible, open up to the book of Acts chapter 16, and we're going to begin in verse 26. Acts 16, beginning in verse 26. Very familiar, if you've been around church life and culture, very familiar, and youth, you can be, is youth today? Yes, then youth can be dismissed. Um, very familiar uh, to, to church culture, but I want to look at it in a little bit of a different light today that maybe you haven't seen before. But it says this, once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High. God, who are telling you the way to be saved. So she was saying the right thing, but she had a wrong spirit. And she kept us up for many days, and finally Paul became so annoyed. Are you glad that he just put that in there, that you're not the only one who's ever gotten annoyed at somebody else? Even Paul got annoyed. So he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods after they had been severely flogged. They were thrown into the prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully, and when he received his orders, he put them in the inner cell fastened their feet to stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. It's important to note that somebody's always listening to you in regardless of whatever season of life that you're in. So just take note of that. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as we have opened your word this morning and we dive into its meaning and application to our life, Lord, we just ask and we pray that, that we would be able to receive your revelation, that it wouldn't be something that we just hear, but it would be something that is illuminated in our mind and in our hearts, and that you would anoint our, our ears to hear, our heart to receive, and our feet to walk it out. And we give you praise in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Do we have any perfectionist in the house? Any perfectionist. I never thought I was, but the older I get, the more I realize I am. And I want to talk to you today about breaking out of the prison of perfectionism. Specifically to learn how to love the imperfections of life. And if you aren't a perfectionist, then just, like I said, just listen and pray for the rest of us. But one thing I, I thought was interesting is I saw this, this thing and they were doing a study of different artists throughout history who did not complete their sculptures or their work of art. And there was such a fascination around the incompleteness of this art. And actually there's a, a surprisingly high number of incomplete art pieces throughout the world. And uh, most of them are, you know, we would know because they were created or started by uh, very well-known people, but for some reason or another, they abandoned those pieces of art, and maybe it was a historical circumstance that caused them to, to, to give up 
on that, that art piece, or maybe it was their sudden demise or lack of inspiration or interest in the project. But there are these unfinished art pieces that in many art circles, people actually find more riveting and more intriguing because it tells a different story than a completed art piece. Because there's a story behind the art. Why wasn't it completed? What transpired in the artist's life that caused them to stop and pause their work? So it tells a story that otherwise would never have been able to be revealed. And when we look at incomplete art from an artist, we begin to know something about the artist that we're not supposed to know. And it's told through their unfinished work. It was said that Leonardo da Vinci, that his perfectionism caused him to jump from one project to another, leaving an impressive number of works undone. In 1550, a man wrote about Leonardo saying, it's clear through his comprehension of art, he began many things and never finished one of them. How many of you have ever felt like that? I've begun many things but in my mind, it's never finished. It's never completed. There's always room to do better. And he, this is being written. Since it seemed to him that his hand was not able to obtain the perfection of art in carrying out the things in which he imagined. So what he saw in his mind, he wasn't able to, to bring to completeness in his hand. So the writer goes on to say that da Vinci renders the artist, that this process of unfinished work renders the artist relatable, vulnerable, and ultimately making the finished work more intimate as a result. Some of the greatest pieces are unfinished pieces. So in breaking free from the prison of imperfection, we read this story from Acts 16, and there's a great story here. The Bible says that Paul and Silas had just delivered a woman from a spirit, a demonic spirit, and she was supernaturally set free. She was loosed from the demonic attack over her life. But as a result of that, your Bible says that immediately they were thrown into prison because of what was happening. I want you to pay attention to the fact that even though this young girl was helped, set free, delivered, got her life back, got her identity back, the world at large was not fixed, right? Nothing really changed in the world. Actually, personally, things got worse for Paul and Silas. The Bible says that they were severely flogged beaten, thrown into prison. They were surrounded by the most vile outcast, locked behind prison doors. The Bible says that their feet were fastened in stocks. And many historians will say that the way they would do this is would actually force them to lay on their backs. And some commentators say that that's actually what made the suffering all the worse, because remember, they were beaten, they were flogged, their backs were beaten. And, and some historians say, actually, the sewer of this city would run through the cells of where they were. So to be tied to your back where the sewage would be running over your open wounds was really the sentence that they were laying in. And it, it, things got pretty severe for them. Their life was imperfect. But somehow... 
and I don't know how. Because my conversation with God would be like, listen, buddy, this is not what I signed up for. But somehow they didn't focus on that. Somehow in the middle of what was going on, they praised God in the middle of that prison. In the middle of their beatings, in the middle of their sufferings, in spite of what they went through, they found one bright spot and that was that God caused them to bring deliverance to this girl to set her free. And they begin to focus their eyes on that one bright spot and they begin to celebrate it because they had learned, now listen to this, they had learned to be fascinated by the unfinished. They had learned to be fascinated by the unfinished. They had a glimmer of God doing something incredible. This demon-possessed girl, this fortune-telling girl coming after them. And they, they, they saw God set her free, but then things just unraveled for them in a big way. But they learned how to be fascinated with the unfinished. As a result, their prison doors opened, the chains fell off, and they walked out free and delivered. Today, quickly, I'm going to give you five keys to break out of the prison of perfection. Now, sometimes I get caught up in one or the other, so I decided I'm going to quick give you all five of them that should be on the screens. You can take note, and if I skip one of them, then so be it. But number one is celebrate before the victory. Number two, enjoy the relationship more than the results. Number three... Vision is the womb of the mind. Number four, hell is after our faith. Number five, take inventory. You ready to jump into a few of these this morning? I'm hoping that today you leave less frustrated with the unfinished. Maybe a little bit less sad or mad or angry but that you would leave today actually fascinated by the areas of your life that are different than you would have imagined them to be. That in somehow in the middle of the chaos or the mess, we would learn to celebrate it. All right, number one, celebrate the victory. It's a strange concept that's outlined in scripture because God says that we should celebrate the victory, but the world says we celebrate after the victory. There's this countercultural thing going on here. Why would you celebrate a victory before you've ever won it? The enemy to that is frustration because it'll show up and we will get obsessed with the fact that we thought things would be different. That'll side rail you there for a long time if you let it. Well, this isn't how I thought my life would turn out. This isn't how I thought my precious babies would grow up with an attitude problem. Come on, somebody. My oldest is eight, and I still have got some with an attitude problem. But we go through things, and if we're not careful, we can allow the disappointment that this isn't how I perceived it would be to bring frustration into our lives and cause us to get side rail from what God wants to do. We get obsessed with the fact that it's different than we thought. We get frustrated because it's not finished, it's not complete, it's not done. 
And then in steps God and says, celebrate before the victory. Here comes God and says, learn to throw a party over the partial. Learn how to get excited about a little bit of progress. Maybe there are a few things that are going right. Learn how to dance over those few things other than getting fascinated with the unfinished. Come on, somebody. Maybe not everything in your world's going the way you thought it would go, but there's something somewhere that God's doing. We're just not always looking hard enough. Somewhere God's moving. Somewhere God's doing something. I don't care if you found a $20 bill on the floor. Come on, that's sometimes you got to celebrate the small things. Because sometimes God gives us little miracles to let us know he's working on the big ones. But sometimes we bypass the little things and say, well, God, but the problem's still there. The situation's still there. I'm still not free. My family's not right. My finances aren't right. And instead of just saying, God, I'm going to celebrate the little things that you've done in my world, we get fixed on those big, unfinished things. But God says, celebrate before the victory. Because that's the way God works. He gives you a promise before the victory. The Bible and actually even nature teaches us this. The Bible teaches us that the harvest is in the seed. The Bible teaches us the harvest is in the seed. Nature teaches us the harvest is in the seed. We want something spectacular. We want something all and jaw-dropping. We want to wake up and there's a harvest of fields that are ripe for us to run out into. And it's our blessing and it's our promise and all the provision that we believe God for. And our family's perfect and we're just riding high. But how many of you know that's not the way farming works? But if you have a seed, you have a harvest. So God says, don't celebrate when the harvest is ripe. That's easy. Any man can go outside and when the harvest is ripe and the weather conditions were right and you didn't have a drought that season and everything's wonderful and you're ready to go out and put in the sickle and reap and all life's going good. That's easy to celebrate. But a real man and woman of faith will be able to hold a seed in their hand. And though it doesn't look like much to the rest of the world and though it isn't the finished work and though it's not perfected and though it's not done, a man or woman of faith can hold the seed and say the harvest is already done because the seed is already in my hand I don't have to wait to be able to see it because I have it that's why the Bible says faith is the evidence of things not yet seen why because if I have faith it's the evidence of what God is going to do in my life so I don't have to wait to celebrate until it manifests I can start celebrating right now because all of the promises of God concerning me are yes and amen and if I have faith like a mustard seed in my hand then I can go ahead and celebrate because your finances are going to turn around come on your anxiety is going to turn around your healing is going to turn around your family is going to turn around why not because I see the results of it not because I see the evidence of life change but because I have a seed in my hand which is the promise of God so I can hold the seed and rejoice now for what God wants to do tomorrow. Too many of you are thinking about the ice cream truck and not leaning in. 
Come on, somebody. God will give us the spectacular. He'll give us the jaw-dropping miracle provision. If we learn how to celebrate when we have a seed and not just the harvest. There's actually a story in Numbers chapter 21. And it's Moses. He's out in the desert with the children of Israel. They're thirsty. It's dry. And he says, I'm going to give you water. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to do something supernatural. Water in the desert. Crazy. And most of us would sit back and say, all right, well, I'll believe it when I But God said, it doesn't take nothing to believe it when you see it. But blessed are those who have believed and not seen. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be able to believe when I have yet to see. Come on, that's faith. That's faith. So Moses is in the desert. God says, listen, I'm going to give you water in the desert. But there's something that I want you to do for me first. And God tells Moses in this scripture, he says, go tell the children of Israel to begin to sing and to celebrate about water. That's the last thing you want to do when you're thirsty, sing and to celebrate. But he says, tell them to sing about the promise. Sing about the idea. Sing about the vision that God gave you. Sing that what I'm giving you is on the way. The water is on the way. So the Bible records that the Israelites begin to sing to the desert floor. Man, how ridiculous they must have looked. <laughs> Singing to a desert floor. There's no clouds. There's no rain. They haven't taken a drink, but yet they're singing to the desert floor. They're singing to the dryness. They're singing to the problem. They're celebrating. They're clapping. They're shouting about water. They're shouting as ones who are being refreshed. They're singing about wells springing up out of the middle of nowhere. And can I tell you, one of the biggest reasons that sometimes we don't get what God wants for us is because we are so focused on our own reputation. We're so focused on our own reputation, trying to protect our own image. We're busy thinking about or believing that it's God's job to make us look good. I don't know if you've ever read your Bible, but often God will make you look bad so that he can look good. I know that's not what you wanted to hear because we want to go into it and like, God, just make it all happen and let the world just think it was all me. Like, wow, they're so gifted and they're so special. But God sometimes will cause you to go down to the lowest valley and the driest place and the darkest night so that in the middle of it, when there's absolutely no proof that you can do anything, he'll step in to prove that it wasn't them, it was me. So the question is, are we willing at times to allow God to make us look bad so that he can look good? Come on, God tells the children of Israel, I want you to walk around the walls of Jericho. And it wasn't one time 
It was once a day for seven days, and on the seventh day, you marched seven times. Nothing about making them look good. Like, you would have thought, like, God would have sent them in as this raging army, these mighty warriors who, you know, are coming in to possess the land, and, you know, this is God's favorite army. But instead, he has them endure seven days of silence and walking around the walls. Your Bible will record that the Jericho army would sit at the top of those walls and they would laugh at them and they would mock them and put, say, slurs about them and what a joke they are just walking around. They have no skill. They have no value. And for seven days, they had to endure the taunts of their adversary. They had to keep their mouth shut and endure the fact that they look silly. They had to keep their mouth shut. That's a key right there. Keep their mouth shut and just realize, though I look bad right now, God's up to something bigger than how I look on the outside. So if I can just keep my mouth shut and endure what God's trying to do, then surely I'll see the victory. But the problem is sometimes halfway around the first wall, I get tired of the taunts of the enemy, tired of the taunts of my family. What is he doing? How is he living that way? How can he believe that? And suddenly I start opening my mouth to defend myself because I think defending myself is more important than obeying the command of God. But if we can just keep our mouth shut, somebody just say, shut up. Just keep our mouth shut and be obedient to God and be willing to look bad so that God can look good. Think about the guy who was blind in the Bible. The Bible says that Jesus went and spit into the mud, takes the mud and puts it in the guy's face. He's already blind. Like, did you have to go another level and put spit mud in his eye? Like, I mean, you raised a dead man by just saying, Lazarus, come forth. Like, did you have to make him look worse than he is? Like, did you have to put your spit into his eye? Many of us would say, I want a miracle, but just leave the spit and mud out of the process. Do it for me, but keep me looking clean. Do it for me, but keep me walking right. Don't, don't, don't embarrass me in front of nobody. Don't call me to step out and do something that I don't want to do. Don't cause me to step out and to do something that I'm nervous about. Keep me good, looking good in the process. But God says, listen, if you want what I have, sometimes you have to be willing to look bad. Remember the commander of the army, his name was Naaman. He was a mighty warrior, but the Bible records that he had leprosy. So he rides with his whole company of warriors. Remember, the, they're warriors. Mighty men. Naaman's a commander in the army. He has a reputation about him. And he rides to go see Elisha. And when he gets there, he's highly offended because Elisha doesn't even get out of the house to come see him. And he's like, the, Naaman's like, excuse me. Yeah, I'm the commander of the army. These are my warriors, and you won't even get up out of the house to come see me? You sent a lowly servant to bring me a word to go dip into a river? And Naaman was so offended that he almost missed out on what God wanted to do in his life. Because the Bible says he was so offended that he was ready to leave. But a little servant girl runs after him and says, listen, if the prophet would have told you to do some big, dramatic, you know, all jaw-dropping thing, you would have done it. The least you can do is bring yourself low, look bad for a minute, and just see if God wouldn't be in it. 
goes down to the Jordan River. He dips down once and comes back up. I'm adding this for context, but probably mumbling to himself, this is the stupidest, dumbest thing that I've ever seen. Goes down, comes up again. I don't know why I'm here. Look at all my mighty warriors. And here I'm dipping myself in a dirty, filthy river. Goes down again, repeats this process until the seventh time. He comes back up changed. Because breakthrough is always on the other side of the door of humility. It's always on the other side of the door of humility. So the Bible is all about celebrating before the victory. See, that was just point number one. You see why I just gave you all five? Because we may not get... (laughs) This is interesting, Isaiah 54, 1. Sing, barren woman. Sing, barren woman. Think about it. He wants the barren to sing. The one who has nothing, the one who is struggling to sing. He's not asking for those who are multiplying in life, he's not asking for those who are overabundant in the blessing to sing. He's not asking for those who are in the happiest season. They're growing. They're thriving. He's not asking for them to sing. But he's singling out the barren one. The one who feels helpless. I know this is speaking naturally of a child, but I think it's also speaking prophetically of when you have an area of your life that you just feel barren in. It just feels like you're just not producing life in your finances or in your marriage or in your home or at your job or the vision and the dream. It's not coming to pass. And there's that essence of feeling barren where it's just not coming out the way you believe that God wants to give it to you. So he tells the barren one, sing. He's asking there to be some people who will learn to party over the partial. Will you party when you're barren simply because he said sing? Will you party when you have leprosy simply because he said go to the river? Will you party when you're blind simply because you hear the sound of Jesus spitting into the mud and you may not understand what's next or you don't understand what he's rubbing in your eye, but you know that Jesus is on the scene, so go ahead and party because no matter what he's doing, spitting in the mud, twisting the air, jumping around, I don't care, Jesus is on the scene, so something miraculous is going to happen in my life. Can we party over the partial? God knows you're barren. He knows that you're hurting. He knows there have been disappointments in your life. He knows at times we feel confused. He knows that at times we feel scared to death of what's in front of us. He knows at times we're fixated and frustrated because there are things that are unfinished in our lives. But he said, don't shout when things are good. Shout when things are bad. Sing when you are barren. Point number two. Enjoy relationships, and excuse me, enjoy the relationship more than the results. We should enjoy our relationship with God more than the results that he can give us. That scripture 
goes on in Isaiah 54 and he talks about these children of the desolate. It means people who aren't pregnant, the desolate. And he says, listen, although they're desolate in the result, it doesn't mean they have to be desolate in the activity. Let me say it to you this way. Many Christians don't enjoy the activity of intimacy with God because they're frustrated over the results that they see. That's what worship is. When we sing, when we pray, when we open God's word, it's all about loving and romancing God and letting God romance us back. It's being filled with new wine and joy and strength. And sometimes if we get so focused on the results, we miss out on enjoying the activity of intimacy. And we put this obligation on our relationship with God that if you don't perform the results that I want, then I won't give you the closeness that you desire. And then we develop this relationship with God where everything becomes a chore. And we begin to say, I'm not going to be intimate with God because things haven't turned out the way that I thought they would be or that they should be. And what he did for someone else, it doesn't look like he's doing for me. So we shut God out and our love eventually dies and grows cold. And Christians do this all the time. Do I have to go to church? No. But it's a place where we draw close to God. If we're not careful, we can allow our mood swings to determine whether or not we're intimate with God. Hinge your marriage on your mood swings. Ain't going to turn out too well. Heard somebody say this recently, and I loved it. They said, stop saying, let's go to prayer. Let's go to prayer. Let's go to prayer. You come into prayer, I'm going to prayer. By the way, we pray Sunday mornings uh, at 9 o'clock in the prayer room. We're praying Wednesday mornings again at 9 o'clock and Thursday evenings at 7 o'clock. But they said stop praying or stop saying let's go to prayer and start saying let's go spend time with God. Because that's legitly what we're doing. I'm not going to pray. That's an activity. I'm going to spend time with God. Sometimes I'm talking to God. Sometimes he's talking to me. Sometimes none of one's saying anything and I'm just sitting in the peace of God. Come on, somebody. So though you might be desolate in the results that you're hoping for, you do not have to be desolate in your heart. One day, that's why he tells the baron to sing. What's going to happen is you're going to wake up and you're going to be pregnant in your heart with revival, with hope, with faith. And somebody's going to say, wow, how did that happen to you? It just looks like everything worked out for you. People say, doesn't it look like everything just comes easy to them? As a pastor, I've had people say that. 
you know, as a church, though we're no, certainly no mega church, we've seen the blessing and the abundance of God. Believe it or not, there are many churches, even in our region, that who look at us and have said, "Use are the standard. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. I get messages every week. What, what, what are you guys using to do this? How do you do that? And okay, I'm always shocked by it. But I'm always careful when I look at somebody who's further along than I am to believe that things just came easy. Because that's like saying there's an ice cream parlor, parlor in hell. Why? Because it doesn't come easy. It comes through when I've been disappointed, I didn't close off my intimacy. When things didn't work out, I didn't walk away and say, well, God, you didn't do it for me like you did for them. Therefore, peace out. I enjoyed the relationship despite the results. I sought the giver and not the gift. Do you understand the difference? If all we ever do is stand before God in prayer and say, give me. Give me, make, it, make this happen that way. Do you know what we're doing? We're treating God like he's a genie in a bottle. I'll go to church, I'll pray a little two-second prayer, and then it's like magic. It's all just going to happen. I'm not talking about your giving today, but I always think it's funny. Somebody will say, well, I put a five in the plate, and my finances didn't turn around. Well, now, if five is your tithe, then praise the Lord. But what I have found is sometimes breakthrough comes when I have been consistent in my giving through the hardest seasons. Because it's God saying, listen, are you going to be faithful even when it's hard? He who's faithful with little will be faithful with much. Will you keep praying even when it seems like there's a glass ceiling over you? Will you keep lifting your hands and worship even when you feel like God is a thousand miles away? That's when God looks and says, they are people who are pursuing me because they love me. They're not pursuing me after what is in my hand. And when you start giving God that kind of love and that kind of relationship, that's when God says, all the rest, I'll work out. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be added to you down the road. So can we worship when we don't see a miracle? Can we worship when we don't see the results? Can we continue to worship when our body's not healed? It's because it's about your relationship with God, not about what he can create for you. So I should desire for intimacy with God more than I should be growing in my demand that God do something for me. Number three, vision is the womb of the mind. Your Bible says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So another way to say that is if you can envision it and live like God is working on it. If you can envision it and live like it's happening, this is magnifying God before it's manifest in your world. This is praying for rain when there's not a cloud in sight, but you're carrying an umbrella. So how do we do this? I think it comes from praising God over every little, minute, small, insignificant, beautiful, wonderful thing that he does. 
Is it complete? No. Is it fulfilled the way we saw it in our heart? No. Is our spouse sitting beside us in church today? No. But has there been an openness in their personality or openness to hear a little bit about the things of God or not tell you to shut up at least when you have the word or worship on? Maybe. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is it complete? No. But partial is good enough for me to get out of the bed in the morning, look at the day and think to myself, this is not the day that I would have chosen. It's not how I would have created it. It's not the day that I would have made, but it is the day that the Lord has made. So it is my job to simply rejoice and be glad in the day that the Lord has made. To learn how to party over the partial. You with me today? Number four. I'll move quick. Hell is after your faith. Hell is after your faith. Jesus goes to Simon Peter and he says to him, listen, Satan desires to sift you, but I'm praying that your faith will not fail you. It's interesting to say that Jesus does not pray that Simon Peter's flesh will not fail him. He actually says, listen, your flesh is going to fail you three times before the rooster crows. He would go on to say that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So God doesn't pray for his flesh not to fail. He prays for his faith not to fail. Why? Because flesh isn't what gets you back up in the morning. Faith is what gets you back up in the morning after your flesh fails. Faith is what tells you there's resurrection in front of you when it looks like there's death all around you. Faith is what tells you that when you're a prodigal son, you don't have to stay in the pig pen any longer. Faith is a thing that allows us to tell the devil that you might get my flesh every now and then, but you will never have my faith. So don't get frustrated, or let me rephrase that. Don't get overly discouraged if you fail in your flesh. And allow the enemy to frustrate you because your flesh is unfinished. And you get discouraged by your weakness. But Jesus says, I'm praying that at the end of the day, not that you won't have shortcomings, not that you won't mess up sometimes, but at the end of the day, you come to terms with the fact that you're going to have a lot of unfinished imperfections in your life. But I can help you get out of the prison of imperfectionism. And number five, and team, you can come. Take inventory. Has anything good happened. I don't be you, but there have been some dark times in my life where all I could think about was the prophecy of doom and gloom. I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. But sometimes it takes just a little bit of movement to turn that around. It's just a decision to say that I'm not going to be held hostage over the unfinished. I can't just stop because things aren't the way that I thought they should be. We see this even reflected in the character and the nature of God. Think about Genesis when God's introduced as our creator. 
we see that six times in the creation story, he stops and throws a party. He didn't wait till it was all done to throw a party. Come on. He didn't wait till all things were finished to celebrate, but he actually stops along the way every step. Day one, he says, it is good. Day two, it's good. It's not done, but it's good. And he throws a little party for himself. Sometimes you need to learn to party all by yourself and for yourself. Sometimes, yeah, we have critics in the world, but how many of you know sometimes the greatest one is right up here? And we downplay every single thing that we do. We downplay it. Oh, well, that's just not good enough. It's not going to bring any results in your world. It's not going to change anything. I know you try, but it's just not going to work out for you. What if you begin to act like God and every small step you threw a party about it? You know what? I went to the gym today. Don't ask me about the 365 days before today. Don't matter. I went today. No, I didn't. So don't, I'm not saying that I did. But I'm saying if you did, throw a party. Throw a party. You opened the God up early, five minutes early, and read the word of God. Maybe you didn't get the revelation of Rev, the book of Revelation. Maybe you didn't understand a darn thing that you read. But throw a party, you opened up the book and you read the word of God. Maybe you prayed in the car driving to work and you know you were discouraged because you were hoping a supernatural wind would blow into your car and then the heavens would open and an angel would descend. But instead you heard nothing. Don't get discouraged. Throw a party. I was faithful this morning. I opened up my mouth and I glorified God and I prayed and I asked God to intervene in my situation. It may not be complete yet, but it doesn't mean I can't celebrate it yet. Some of us have been praying for family members and children to come home and to, you know, come to the knowledge that God is a good God and come to salvation. And though their lives may not look like a finished thing yet, start looking for small cracks in the door. Well, we say, well, you know, it just looks like they're, everything's out of control. They're going the exact opposite. Of course, if that's what you're looking for. I told you two weeks ago, so I believe that the Holy Spirit isn't just standing there saying, well... When you get it all right, I'll come in. But he's this brooding presence that's just saying, you just give me a little, a little bit of space. You just open that door with a thought in your mind and I'll flood in. What if we started acting like that? I'm just looking for a little bit of good. I'm looking for a little bit of God. I'm looking, it's not day seven yet. And when it was all done, he threw even a bigger party because he says it was very good. Church, we have to learn to get fascinated by the unfinished. We have to learn to party over the minor blessings if we want to see the major blessings in our life. You know, people have often said to me, well, pastor, you know, after we, we have made a... a uh, call for salvation for those that don't know God and people respond and they raise their hands and people have said well how do you know they really got it and the fact of the matter is is they're not there they haven't been water baptized they haven't been discipled 
They don't know what it looks like to use their gifts to serve the kingdom. They've never tithed. They've never witnessed to anybody or invited somebody to church. But people say, wow, why do you celebrate and say that they were saved? Where's their fruit? Well, first I respond to that and say, I don't know when it all starts because the Bible says that there are many who will stand before God in that great day of judgment and say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say to them, I didn't know you at all. Come on, somebody. But there's, yes, a point where the Bible says we all are responsible to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But you know why I celebrate? Because a sinner, somebody who does not have a relationship with God, got up and made the decision to say, I'm going to church today. Most Christian people can't even get past that decision. Sorry if you're watching online. (laughs) I'm just joking. They make their way through a parking lot with a bunch of Christians who are acting like a bunch of backslidden jerks. They come into a church service and they sing songs that they don't know. They hear a sermon that they probably don't understand. But somewhere in the midst of that, they're crying out in their heart, God, is there anything for me? Is there anything for me? And in the middle of all of that, a preacher will say, stretch up your hand and lift your hand if you want to make a decision for God. And many Christians, after 30 years of being saved, still can't lift up their hands unless everything is going right in the world. The song is right. The tempo's right. The temperature's right. You know, their favorite worship leader's on, and that's their jam from the 90s. Then I'll get a hand up. But come on. But these are people who've not encountered the goodness of God yet. They've not encountered the blessing of God yet, but they're willing to stand in a room full of strangers and say, Yes, I'll respond to God. They pray a prayer. They profess the Lordship of Jesus Christ over their life. And they will probably leave the building and go out and sin. Probably. Just like if you survey your life over the last week, you'll probably find some yourself. But do you know why we celebrate that? even before we see the fruit of it because your Bible says that when one person comes to faith in God all of heaven celebrates when one I'm just being like heaven they didn't celebrate when they got baptized and they learned the principles of tithing and they, they learned how to be a steward in the house of God and they volunteered and they signed up for kids' church. They, no, no, no. They celebrated before there was any fruit. God said, just stop everything. Stop where you are. One came to God. They're not perfect. They're not perfected, but they've come to God. They learned how to celebrate the partial. Let's stand to our feet. Before we're dismissed today, I do want to give that invitation. That if you're in the room today or you're watching online and you say, Pastor, I don't know God like you're talking about. Maybe I've been to church or I've heard about God, but I've never moved over from being a hearer to being a believer. I want this Jesus that you're talking about. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do what I just talked about. 
I'm gonna ask that every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I'm gonna count to three. And when I do, I just want you to slip your hand up. I'm not gonna do anything to embarrass you. I just wanna signify that you're praying this prayer with us today. And the Bible says that if you pray and believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, and at the end of that prayer, you will be as sure for heaven as if you're already there. If that's you today, I wanted you to do that. Ready, one, two, three. If that's you, just slip up your hand. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. You put your hands down. We're going to pray this prayer together as a church. But if you're praying this for the first time, I want you to pray this with all of your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I stand before you right now in this moment. And I confess that I'm a sinner and that I need a Savior. And I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And I ask you now to forgive me for all of my sins. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me new. Be my God and I'll be your people. From this moment, my life is different. I'm changed. I'm changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's start doing what heaven's doing. Let's celebrate. Come on. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, don't be discouraged over the imperfection. Don't go home and say, well, you know, the temptation to do this is that, or my life isn't, you know, look dramatically different. You hold fast and you celebrate that today, your name, the Bible says, was written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. Your name is written in the books of heaven, secured for that day when you leave this world and enter into those gates. That's done. That's enough to celebrate. And we have some resources we want to put in your hand. If you want to uh, help starting out your journey of faith, just stop by Connections and say, hey, give me a, a new believer box. We'll get that to you. If you're watching online, you can go to the Know God tab on our website and do all of that. And for everybody else, I just want to leave you with this. Don't you dare get discouraged because it doesn't look how you thought it would look just keep going keep celebrating the small things keep plugging away keep doing what God's called you to do and as long as you never give up and you never quit I promise you you will see the promise of God fulfilled in your life because as David said and I'll leave you with this I promise he said I've been young and I've been old but I've never 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 never. This is a man who was hiding in a cave. See, I said I'll finish after this, but then I'll just keep it going for a long time. See how that works? But this was a man who was on the run for his life for years. This was a man who knew hardship. He knew sorrow, but he said, I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. He said, I've lived it all. And what I found is even in the hard times, even when it's difficult, God's not done and it's not over. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep going after Jesus. Even when Saul is chasing you, go after God because it's not over and he's not done. Let's worship the Lord together.